Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show where a bent bulldog is a cool pipe shape and not a career-ending move for a male erotic dancer. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, on Tuesday night here in the middle of November already. Yes, Christmas is coming and the geese are getting fat. All right. Uh, in tonight's show and pipe parts, I uh, had to had to punt a little bit. Was going to do a blend review again, but instead I'm going to talk about the origin names or what some of our favorite blend names really mean. Uh, more on that in pipe parts. Uh, my guest tonight is the true, I guess, the the actual definition of a modern day bohemian. He's uh, Rob E, pipe maker, artist, and. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking to him, so I get to, yeah, you'll enjoy it. It, it was truly a, a, an enlightened person and a, uh, and a and a great guy to talk to. Uh, mailbag, music, rant, all that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, now, last week when I got back from Las Vegas, uh, you know, I was feeling good until about Tuesday evening. I started to notice my throat started to get scratchy. Now... By Wednesday night, I was full-blown in the middle of the crud, the cold and crud. So, not much pipe smoking going on here this week. Uh, that's the reason why we really don't have a, uh, I, don't, I couldn't do a blend review because I couldn't taste anything. The only thing I could taste was salt. Everything tasted salty for some reason. So, uh, you know, I've been puffing on my pipe when I can, but everything just tastes like either warm air or somewhat salty. And now, just finally, as of like yesterday or two days ago, maybe I got my appetite back and yeah, getting it, getting back into the groove of things. So I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to feel a little bit better. Get this one out of the year. And you know what? This is the. <laughs> I don't want to say anything about the Palace Station or Las Vegas, but this is the second year in a row in November I've come back from this show and I get the crud for a week. So. Get my crud out of the way early before the uh, before the Christmas shopping rush. Anyway, let's get the show rolling. Uh, guaranteed, no, I'm not infectious. I won't come through your earbuds, so you're safe. Uh, everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. All right, so I think we've covered some of these in the past where I've talked about what, you know, what a... What is the real meaning of the of the name of the tobacco? And I thought, you know what, let's let's do some more and uh, probably cover a couple others. So, all of these definitions that I'm about to uh, tell you are from MerriamWebster.com. The, uh, the the it's a bit it's a little bit bigger of a dictionary kind of handles some global stuff. So, the uh, the proper way to start this off is. With uh, we'll do these in alphabetical order, except for the first one. Aperitif is a Dunhill blend, and an aperitif is actually an alcoholic drink taken before a meal to stimulate the appetite. So one might consider a cocktail, a before meal cocktail, or a before meal glass of wine as an aperitif. 
Uh, why did Dunhill name that tobacco as an apparent as aperitif? Probably because it's lighter in flavor, less intense. So you want it before the meal, and uh, that way your your mouth isn't coated with a whole bunch of tobacco flavors before you start in on the meal. Now going, staying in the A's, uh, amphora has been around for a hundred years, hundred plus years. And an amphora is actually an ancient Greek jar or vase with a large oval body, narrow cylindrical neck, and two handles that rise almost to the level or mouth broadly. Uh, such a such a jar or vase used elsewhere in the ancient world. Um, it was also a va- it was a it was a vase or a jar where the ancients, in particular. Uh, in Greece would put uh, valuable stuff in it for storage or yeah they wanted to be able to carry it so an amphora meant that the contents were more valuable than a regular jar or vase Uh, but that goes back uh, (laughs) I mean we're talking three four thousand years there Uh, next moving up capstan yeah the famous capstan blends the ones that uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien smoked uh a capstan is a machine for moving or raising heavy weights that consists of a vertical drum which can be rotated and around which a cable is turned. Uh, in that definition, the first capstans were really on nautical ships to raise and lower the cargo out of the hold. Uh, that was a capstan, and you'll see it represented in uh you know from the from the pirate days and stuff like that with uh guys on the crew with their arms on poles and pushing all in the same circle and sometimes they'd use that to tighten all the ropes on the ship and get more sail out of it Uh, the other uh the more modern definition of it is a rotating shaft that drives tape at a constant speed in a recorder now, using a tape recorder is not really a modern thing anymore because it's all digital, but uh, Capstan does bring up the fact that you know, a lot of our pipe smoking history comes from, uh, comes from the days of nautical you know, uh, transportation by ship was the only way. So a lot of it is based on those transportation lores of past uh, next is another Dunhill blend. It's Durbar, D-U-R-B-A-R. Not one of the more commonly popular Dunhill tin blends, but a Durbar is a court held by an Indian prince or a formal reception held by an Indian prince or an African ruler. Uh, this goes back to the 1600s, so I'm pretty sure... Durbar would go back to when England colonized the uh, Indian Peninsula. I don't know why they would use that name, except maybe to signify that it's a uh, a, a, a very uh, grand Oriental-based blend. But again, yeah, not a lot of tobacco coming from India at that time either. And moving on quickly, we come to one of our favorites, Escudo. Yeah, an Escudo is any of various former gold or silver coins of Hispanic countries, and it was the basic monetary unit of Portugal from 1910 to 2001. 
so again, the, the, the brand maker said, Hey, these round things look like little gold or silver coins. Now I like them when they look like little black coins, the darker and the juicier, the better, but apparently, uh, they're little gold coins, which I've known that for a while. And, uh, just didn't really realize that, you know, they really should be gold if they're going to be true escudos. Uh, back to Dunhill again for Nightcap. Uh, Nightcap was more com- most recently commonly used as, a, uh, as an after-dinner or an alcoholic drink taken at the end of the day. It's a strong drink to put you to bed, keep you warm, whatever you it's not a light drink like an aperitif to stimulate your appetite. Originally, though, and this goes back to the 14th century, a nightcap is a cloth cap worn with night clothes. So if you look at uh, the night before Christmas, uh, Pa was in his cap, or Santa Claus's long stocking cap, well, those are all nightcaps. And those were all meant to keep your head warm while you slept so that you didn't get a cold or a chill, which maybe that's what I did. Maybe I need to wear a nightcap and that'll keep these colds from getting me once a year. Um, Or maybe I need to, uh, I don't know, stay in cleaner places. Um, But we'll find out. (laughs) I'll do it again. Trust me. And finally, uh, back to a nautical theme again and back into GLPs. Sextant, S-E-X-T-A-N-T, is not a tent put up for sex, no. It is an instrument for measuring angular distance used especially in navigation to observe altitudes of celestial bodies as, uh, you know, so again, we're going back to uh, this was 1500s, 1600s, the first time it was known use was 1628, and we're talking about navigating the high seas without GPS or radar. This is how they did it. They used a sextant that would, based off of the alignment of the stars, determine their latitude and longitude. And if you search for sextant, you'll find some really cool-looking old, uh, just steampunk-looking devices, and then you'll find some very crude ones. But that was the old navigation device. And now it's a a great blend from GLPs. So there you go. A little education for you. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, If you want to hear more of these, there's some others that I could do, but those were the best best that I found. All right. In just a minute, Rob E. will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. 
888-308-0345 or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us on a very uh, a very timely episode. Timely to have you on for this week because of the pipe that is coming up for auction this weekend, which we'll talk about more, but is uh, artist, pipe maker, and uh, uh, I, you know, Rob will get into it all, but uh, Rob E., welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here with you. All right, so let, let's get to know you first. Did, did you grow up in Michigan, up there in the hinterlands? Yes, I did. Uh, Southwest Michigan uh, corner, uh, right there in Kalamazoo. Oh, oh, probably a lot of good cereal. Um, no, that's Battle Creek. Um, anyway. Battle Creek. Yeah. Uh, so what did you... Uh, <laughs> What did you want to be when you were growing up, and and uh, and what you end? What do you end up? What you end up doing? Uh, growing up, I've always been a creative uh, spirit, um, drawing, painting, uh, working with wood, um, making things, tearing things apart, learning how things work. Um, I was always kind of enamored with uh, internal mechanisms of things. Um, Spent a lot of time tearing uh, appliances apart. Made my parents a little unhappy, but uh, <laughs> uh, I found a lot of joy in taking things apart and putting them back together, and then kind of redesigning things and making making other apparatuses. Wait, were the appliances working when you tore them apart? Sometimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So did you? Uh, so out of high school, did you go to an art college, or did you did you start? How'd you how'd you move forward? Actually, after uh, high school, initially I was going into law enforcement, um, but a series of uh, uh, pretty devastating knee injuries uh, took me out of that arena pretty quickly. Um, when I was in high school, I did focus a lot of my attention on art as well as uh, the industrial arts programs. Um, and I, I kind of felt out of place because everything was pushing you towards uh, career training rather than actually opening your mind and, and exploring what you could actually become your, your full potential. So in art, you know, the stuff that I was doing wasn't qualified or uh, viewed as, you know, what what art should be. So I kind of felt like a second-class citizen. Um, so I kind of put that on the back burner for a number of years um, and worked a variety of different jobs after my knee injuries and realizing I couldn't go into law enforcement. Um uh, and then just before I turned 30, um, I actually went to art school because I'd spent several years painting when I was recovering from, uh, from my knee injuries. Um, so I went into art school and really focused on uh, painting and making photography, uh, did a little sculpture, um, kind of 
found my own path that way. And ever since I've just been uh, working in art in one way or another, um, actually work in the theater program at the university here in Kalamazoo. Um, officially the scene shock foreman, but I also teach airbrush classes in the summer. And uh, I've been teaching the wood turning section for one of the stagecraft classes. So, wow. Tell all your students that the most well-known Disney animators and the Imagineers, the ride designers of the past, they all came out of the set design and set layouts and for, uh, for stage and for movies. So that, that's where most of what people see when they go to Disney World or Disneyland, those are all old set designers that have laid that out. I I will do that. So so you uh, may be you may be training the next Disney uh, the next Disney great designer. That would be pretty exciting. Yeah. All right. So when did uh, when did pipe smoking come into your life? Oh, uh, about twenty seven years ago. Um, uh, Fresh out of high school, uh, my first summer after high school, um, my uncle was a pipe smoker as far back as I can remember, and my father dabbled in it uh, before I had any recollection, Um, and my great-grandfather was a pipe and cigar smoker, and a lot of my fondest memories were spending summers out at my uncle's place, and... uh, he was always kind of an outdoorsy kind of guy, and he would be out there at the wood pile with his pipe, and he'd take a break and sit down and pull his pipe out. And my cousin and I would sit around, and he would tell stories and smoke his pipe, and it was just always a really nice memory. And um, I've been uh, either smoking cigarettes or chewing tobacco since I was, well, I'm not going to say because, you know, state laws and whatnot. Um, <laughs> but uh, when I was about 19, I decided, you know, I need, to, I, need to, I need to think about, you know, how I'm using tobacco and, and try to enjoy it rather than just use it as a habit. So I picked up my first pipe. It was a drugstore pipe and some drugstore tobacco and burnt the crap out of my mouth. <laughs> and... Uh, I know that lasted about two or three weeks and ended up leaving that pipe in my buddy's glove box and never saw it again. And I didn't smoke a pipe again for about two or three years. And then after a knee injury, I was sitting around the house, uh, not doing a whole lot of anything and decided, you know, I should think about that pipe again. So, visited the local tinderbox and picked up uh, a Savinelli and uh, some good tobacco. And I spent probably a good three years smoking pipe regularly. And then uh, some events happened in my life where it wasn't uh, conducive. So I just kind of put them in the the back drawer. And about... Three or four years after that, I 
pulled my pipes back out and I started smoking regularly and I've been smoking the pipe regularly for the last fifteen years. If you're if you're painting or uh, or creating art, does it help you to smoke your pipe while you're doing it? Actually, it does quite a bit. Because um, that, that was a nice thing about smoking a pipe versus a cigarette. When I was in uh, grad school in my studio, I would I would always have a cigarette lit, and I would take a couple of puffs off of it and set it in the ashtray, and I'd turn back to the the easel and I'd paint and I'd lose track of time because you just get into that creative flow and I'd turn around and I'd go to grab that cigarette and it was nothing but a butt so I was like you know this is just really kind of silly so that that was uh, a good uh, a good point when I actually really started smoking the pipe more because uh, you know as all pipe smokers do you set your pipe down it goes out it doesn't just continue to burn so it was nice to be able to, you know, light my pipe, take a few pops while I was looking at my work and feel that inspiration kick again and I could just set the pipe down or not. I could keep it in my mouth while I painted, kind of like Norman Rockwell. And uh, yeah. not that I'm comparing myself to Norman Rockwell at all, <laughs> but uh, it was always, you know, uh, just kind of a source of comfort while I was painting. Because I can just take that moment and just take a few puffs and, and really kind of look at what I was doing and then set the pipe down and, and go back and do more. Kind of clear clear your head with the uh, with the smoke and the smell and then uh, and then uh, take give, gives you a little refresher break. Yeah. And so when do we uh, when do you get the urge to start making pipes? Uh, it's funny, um, it was around 2003, um, I had become quite a regular at the Tinderbox, uh, here in Kalamazoo, and the owner, uh, initially, I don't think he knew what to think of me when I bought that first Savinelli, uh, it wasn't the, the stereotypical type guy, um, the way I dressed was kind of off the wall, you know, I was in I was an artist, so I dressed a little differently, and so the first couple times I visited the shop, he wasn't sure how to take me, but after about the, I think about the third type I bought from him, he realized I was, I was a lifer, and uh, he, you know, he and I became really good friends at that point, and um, once he realized I was an art student, and I was, you know, I was making art, I was living life as an artist, and he uh, he encouraged me to to buy one of his uh, prefabbed kits and carve it and just see what I come up with. So he gave me a real good deal on the kit. Um, I took it home. I carved it. Of course, I made you know terrible mistakes. I uh, carved a turd, as a lot of the <laughs> his colleagues would say, and but I, it was fun and and. Uh, it kind of bit me, and I bought a couple more kits and carved some more, and then <clears throat> life got in the way with going to, you know, finishing up undergrad and then going to grad school, so I didn't do a whole lot uh, in those years, um, but then, uh, let's see, 
2013, I uh, came back to the theater from the one-year sabbatical I was taking and um, realized that the, uh, the technical director had bought a four-jaw chuck for a wood lathe, so I decided, wow, that's exactly what I've been reading about. <laughs> so I decided it was time to start you know, making pipes, kind of taking it a little bit more seriously. And so I turned out a few more turds and a couple of potatoes and had some fun doing it and learned a lot as I went and uh, did a lot of reading and research and interaction on Pipe Makers Forum. Uh, met a lot of fine people through there and got a lot of good uh, uh, information from them and um, been slowly building my my uh, pipe making studio up ever since that is a perfect place for us to take a break when we come back we'll talk about um, how the how pretty the turds and potatoes look now so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion it's their birthright their legacy and just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Rob E. And the uh, so now the turds that have turned into potatoes are starting to look pretty cherry to me. Um, so when did you when? How long did it take you before you started like actually selling a pipe? Um. Well, I was right around 2013. Um, I was connected to one of my former professors uh, from my first two years of undergrad. Um, she invited me to participate in a group show at her gallery, uh, Small Works, and I told her I hadn't been busy making a whole lot of paintings. I've been working pretty steadily in the theater, and I, I, but I've been exploring uh, pipe making, and she was interested, so she said, tell me more. So at that time, I was, you know, kind of like a lot of you guys in pipe making do. They are exploring things outside of the scope of just regular briar and ebonite. And, you know, I was making these crazy uh, calabash kind of things uh, with a briar bowl. And so I produced uh, four pipes for her for, for the show that she wanted to do. And... Um, it was a lot of fun, and one of uh, the uh, bass players for the Kalamazoo Symphony Orchestra 
um, who actually lives in Illinois. He uh, happened to be in town for a rehearsal, and my friend at the auditorium told him that I you know, was making pipes because he found out that this fellow was a pipe smoker. So he introduced the two of us, and we got to talking, and I just happened to have the pipes with me up at the, the university that day, and I showed him the pipes, and he was really, really uh, interested and uh, this one particular pipe that I had made, um, he he was like, well, how, how much do you want for it? And I, I'd say, I, I don't know, you know, we, we worked out a price and he bought it. And I was like, wow, that's the first, first pipe I ever sold. And so that's, that's actually kind of a cool thing. <laughs> um, and a funny story is uh, he actually is buying a, uh, a very lightly used pipe of mine from the same guy who introduced us so um yeah it's it's just kind of a neat little uh community we have there at the, at the university um and then after i told that you know i, I started paying a, a lot of close attention to the critiques i was receiving uh from my colleagues uh, in the makers forum and started focusing more on, you know, just briar, just ebonite or acrylic or, you know, whatever your rod or your stem material is, and really making uh, conscious decisions about um, the aesthetic flow as well as the engineering of the pipe. So I kind of took things way back and simplified what I was doing to make a, a much more solid much more uh, user-friendly rather than focusing on the aesthetics. And then I started blending the two worlds back into one another so that the engineering was always uh, a crucial, important factor. But then I started exploring the aesthetics. And as I began to migrate away from the classical shapes and going back into more of the abstract shapes, that's where... I started finding my happiness again, um, much like I did through my art school training. Um, you know, I focused many years on being a classically trained realist painter, but I've always been an abstractionist. And it was midway through my graduate uh, program that I realized I wasn't happy. I was just painting realism. And it was felt just like a technical uh, exploration. And I ended up abandoning that whole concept and went back to doing the abstraction work that I used to love to do. And I found my happiness again. So I kind of applied that whole scenario back into pipe making. And now I'm really finding myself um, being happy with uh doing more of the artistic creation you, on your uh, facebook page there's a, a pretty cool looking pumpkin that you did recently thank you um you know initially that had <laughs> i have to give a shout out to trevor shane talbert yeah um it, it really had nothing to do with his work initially um uh one of the members from my pipe club, uh, the Furniture City Pipe Society in Grand Rapids. Um, he's a 
a Halloween uh, dork, and I say that lovingly. <laughs> um, she absolutely loves everything about Halloween, and he's been wanting to get into one of my pipes for a long time, but he wanted something really special, so he thought about it for a long time, and uh, it was right after the Chicago show when I came back. Um, he he asked me, you know, if we could talk about a, a special commission, and he was, you know, a little hesitant. And so after or during a club meeting, we talked about it, and he said, uh, "What what would you think about doing like a squashed pumpkin rather than a squashed tomato?" I really like that squashed tomato you just did, but. It would really be cool if you could do it as a pumpkin. And I was like, you know, I, I could probably do a pumpkin. And he shows me the sketch he wanted. And I said, well, I'll change a couple of lines in your drawing because of engineering issues. And I said, but, yeah, that's something we could probably do. And so I selected this piece of uh, Nemo briar and set off to carving it. Got the shape down and got all of the little... Uh, what you call them, the indentations on the pumpkin. And as I started sanding, and I started noticing a lot of sand pits. I didn't, I didn't want to leave the sand pits there, so I just kind of let it set for a few days. And how can I, how can I work around this? And and on my Facebook news feed, one of Albert's uh, pipe shows up. It was his pumpkin during this year, and I, I just saw that. I just kind of chuckled, and I. I wasn't expecting to go in that direction, but just kind of as a sarcastic jab at my friend for his desire to have a Halloween-themed pipe, I sent him uh, Albert's video, and he, he took a look at it. He just ecstatically said, dude, that is so cool. If you can do that, that is so cool. <laughs> and I thought, I, I guess I really can't not, so... So I, I don't want to, you know, step on anybody's toes. I said, I'll do something similar, but um, I don't want to do anything exactly like that. So he says, yeah, just whatever, whatever you come up with. So I thought rather than, you know, kind of an angry-looking pumpkin, I'd make a happy-looking pumpkin. So that's what I kind of did. And um, one, of, uh, one of my friend's requirements or requests was on the shanky one and uh, the pumpkin leaves and vines. Um, carved into it, which, you know, it's something I hadn't done before this pipe. So I thought that'd be, you know, a fun opportunity to explore my, my sculpting side. So I went ahead and started carving some uh, leaves and vines and just really had a good time carving. And uh, it took me back to my graduate work when I was taking sculpture classes and just, you know, playing. Uh, it wasn't so much as, you know, I had to create a specific thing, but just actually enjoying the process of carving. And really, really had a great time with that. Yeah, but if you screw up on that, you can't just add more wood back to it. No, no, you can't. And that, that inlays the challenge is uh, realizing that um, uh, a lot of sculpture work is a reductive process rather than an additive process. Like in painting, you know, in painting, if you screw up, you can always paint over it. But in sculpture, when you're removing material, if you remove too much, you've got to make a new design choice. And um, so, yeah, especially on a small, 
things such as a pipe shank, you know, you've got a lot, you've got very little material that you can screw up with. So you really have to be aware of what you're doing and, and be conscious the entire time. And that leads me into the next part of you that I think is just uh, intriguing. I don't want to say I don't want to say anything else besides it's intriguing to me. Is that you are a is is it correct to say a practicing Buddhist? Yeah, that's that's an appropriate way to say it. Um, I've been studying Buddhism. Um, oh. For about the last ten years, um, and uh, it's 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 really a life uh, a life choice. Um, I, I would have to say, after everything that I've learned through my studies, that I've always been a Buddhist, but I just didn't really realize it until <clears throat> I began studying. Um, it's more of a of a philosophy than it is a religion. Now, there are, obviously, there are religious uh, sects of Buddhism where people practice it in a religious sort of way, um, but that's not necessarily the way that you have to go about it. Yeah, I, I think only a Buddhist would take something apart that's working perfectly to understand how it works. <laughs> I see what you did there. You brought that around full circle. <laughs> well, I mean, it, so it, it it all made perfect sense to me when you said that because <laughs> most you know most Buddhists want to understand yeah they 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 want to understand why stuff works or why it is that way, not just accepting it being that way. Yeah, that's 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 a very good observation. Um, yeah, to to go back to that full circle, um, I was I was raised uh, in a Catholic household, a Roman Catholic household. I went to parochial school for about eight years. Um, took the uh, sacrament of confirmation against my uh, my my wisdom, my my better knowledge. Um, and but ever since I was very young, I, I've always felt. Uh, differently about spirituality and, and religion than my family members did. And I didn't really understand what it was. Um, and it wasn't until I was out on my own that I was actually, um, that I began exploring uh, life outside of um, uh, a, a theistic tradition. And uh I spent time studying with uh, Hindus for about eight years, as, and then I took a little break in between. And then I, um, during my undergrad years, uh, is when I decided you know, I really need to, to learn about this meditation thing, because I dabbled in meditation for many years, but I didn't really put it into full practice um, until, you know, I was just kind of, felt very tormented um, uh, mentally. Uh, so I, I encountered a Tibetan meditation group and began practicing with them. And I worked with them for uh, roughly about 10 years. And um, it, was, it was a very 
mind-opening experience um, and presented me with an alternative way to view the world as I was seeing it from before. Um, and understanding, you know, a lot about the workings of the, the mind and the, the trappings that we easily fall into. And, and a lot of it is like what you said about pipe making, where you had to scale it back for a minute and get to the insides, and then you could come back and work on the outside. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, that, that's a good analogy. Um, <clears throat> we do tend to focus a lot on, on the aesthetic, because that's what the image that we want others to see us, that's the image that we want to see ourselves as, <clears throat> but we don't really spend enough time taking a look at the nature of mind and how our mind actually will grab a hold of the thought and just run with it and run with it until it's dead, rather than just seeing the thought as just a thing and just letting it come and go. And... You know, the way that we present ourselves is very much the same way. We we, we tend to get wrapped up in, in perception and persona. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a really slippery slope once you get caught up in it. It, it. it can take you off on a wild adventure or it can take you down to the depths of hell. Um, you just kind of have to be willing to look at what's happening in, in and realize that it's just happening. Just let it happen and be be present. And and sometimes for a pipe maker, it's just you. You're just the conduit. Sit back and let and let Mother Nature do what it intended to do with that wood. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's that's funny that you mentioned that because that's exactly when I began refinding my happiness as a pipe maker. Um, you know, you set out, you, you lay out five or ten classic shapes that you want to make, um, billiards or princes or whatever, and in the process of carving them, starting to turn them on the lathe or, or shaping them on the French wheel or whatever, you encounter problems with the wood and you're like, oh, okay, throw that in the box and it's, it's toast. But it's no, there's still something there. You just have to learn how to work with what's there. And work beyond the the problem and, and come up with a solution. But sometimes we get wrapped up in that thought of you know creating this perfect thing that we don't see to it. And it was already perfect to begin with. Let's just work with what is presented. And that brings us back to your pipes, which are uh, you know to to see Rob's pipes. Go on to Facebook and go and search for Rob E R O B. Capital E apostrophe S art, Rob E's art, and you'll see a ton of pictures on there. Um, and you, you, I can really see from your pipes where you have the, the most recent ones pay homage to the classics, but you're looking to see what else is in the wood and what else can accentuate the shapes. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily... Uh, let's see what's the best way to put that. Um, I, I don't dislike making classics, 
But the analogy that I like to use um, when I'm just sitting around in Pipe Club talking about it with friends is, you know, you make a painting once, you don't want to make the painting twice. You don't want to make it three times or a dozen times. You make it once and you move on. You move on to something different, something better. Every every experience that we have is a learning opportunity. And although there is value and there is a, a uh, opportunity to learn something from doing something over and over and over, um, which I did, you know, when I first started out, I made, you know, from my colleagues telling me, you know, you, you need to make so many billiards, you need to make so many this shape or that shape, and and I, I spent some time doing that, and I, I learned a great deal, um, and I think there's a lot of value in that, but not everybody works best at repetitive making. Um, sometimes you just kind of have to allow yourself that freedom to find where you're happy and always look at form and function as a unit, as, as a, as a singularity rather than two opposing forces. Um, you know, a pipe is really nothing more than a piece of wood with two holes in it so that you can stuff tobacco in one end and puff smoke out of the other. <laughs> but but if you if you have any kind of artistic inclination, you already have a, a an idea of you know all of the formalities of art of line and form and flow and all of those things. Um, so it's it's kind of like just allowing what creative energy is within you to come out but making friends with the ego that wants to create this thing and letting that ego just kind of set off to the side and watch and just let the process kind of unfold itself. I think that that is probably uh, the most important thing that I'm still learning to do is you know, rather than trying to create a specific thing, but have an idea in mind and allowing the, the creative uh, energies, the creative spirits to just kind of move you in the direction and assist you along the way and be open to, you know, what can happen. That's where the magic happens. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Um I don't know about magic as much as just kind of it's it already was there. It's kind of like uh, um, the sculpture is already in the stone. You just had to take away the the inessential parts. <laughs> Rob, where do your pipes start out at price wise? Um, right now. Um, I'm kind of at that transitional point where uh, my my uh, lower end prices right now are about two fifty, um, and the more artistic, more uh, creative pieces are are going up around four to four fifty to start. 
And again, uh, starting this Saturday, November 17th on, uh, on 32auctions.com slash Father the Flame. There's one of Rob's pipes that's uh, got a starting bid of 200 bucks. So not only, not only does it help out a good cause, you get a great pipe and, uh, and it saves a little bit of money. So, uh, and you can check out more of Rob's pipes on his Facebook page. Rob, we're going to wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer. Just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite pipe? Ironically, it's a white call Saratoga, uh, Levat, that was gifted to me a couple of years ago. And uh, it is a pure smoking machine. What is your favorite tobacco? I have to cut between three. Um, I absolutely adore McClellan's 2015 Virginia Freak. That's probably my favorite uh, all-day tobacco. Um, along with that would be Peter Stokeby's uh, Luxury Twist Flake, which I just happened to get a nice stash of 15-year-old Um from Eric at uh, Indian River Tobacco Traders. <laughs> and then the third favorite, uh, well, actually I can't say the second or third favorite, but I'd say all three are, are tied. Um, and not to toot my own horn, but it's a uh, tobacco that I uh, designed last year for the Pipe Club um, contest, which ended up winning. Um, it's the... Uh, Furniture City Pipe Society's 2017 Club Blend titled uh, Double Fudge Brownie. Ooh. That's what I'm smoking right now. All right. What is your favorite drink? Uh, well, I'm sitting here looking at a, <laughs> a snifter of some uh, LaFloid Scotch and a Founder's Dirty Bastard. <laughs> ah, yeah, it must be Michigan winter. Um, <laughs> when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, well, the types of books I read aren't really relaxing books, but I do read quite a bit. Um, for relaxing, it's probably music. Um, if I'm looking specifically to relax, I'll, I listen to uh, a lot of old jazz. And then the final question is, do you have a particularly favorite pipe-smoking-related memory that we haven't talked about? Uh, I have one that sticks out in my mind like a sore thumb. Um, it's not necessarily a favorite memory, uh, but it, it's one that I'll never forget. I was fishing with a buddy. Uh, we were both puffing uh, on our pipes in a canoe. And as we, uh, each of us caught a fish at the same time on opposite sides of the boat, and I turned to look at him to say, grab the net, and as I did, I opened my mouth and dropped my pipe right in the, right in the pond. Oh, no. <laughs> it was a cob, but it, it still was funny. I think we laughed so hard, neither one of us got our fishes in the boat. Uh, that's like the pipe I dropped in the very small pond that's in the bathroom at our house one time. But um, 
Yeah. Anyway, that pipe had to get cleaned. Uh, <laughs> Rob, thank you very much for joining us and uh, keep doing all the great work you're doing. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate the time and uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell and Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenet's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell and Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. This is Internet Radio. We are back, and uh, you know what? Don't don't forget to check out uh, check out Robbie's pipe on the uh, Father of the Flame auction. That's again that's this Saturday, over the weekend, and uh, you know check out all the stuff there and uh, get the film done. And you can check out Rob's pipes on uh, Facebook. All right, for music, we're going back to guitarist and pipe smoker Phil Kagi, and uh, this one I figured was just. Uh, just kind of perfect for how I'm feeling. It's called <laughs> Call the Doctor. Stay to 
much pain and so much hurt, but just one touch and just one word, somebody call the doctor. From his 2016 album titled All at Once, that's Phil Kagey, Call the Doctor. You can see more about Phil on Phil, P-H-I-L, Kagey, K-E-A-G-G-Y dot com. There is a message for you. In the mailbag going to iTunes first, and I'm not sure if we've read these yet, but I'm going to do it again because we got two five-star ratings with reviews, and then we got one one-star rating with no review. So, anyway, I uh, love those ratings and reviews. One star, five star, doesn't matter. Green Lantern 52 writes, uh, As a beginning pipe smoker, this radio show is an awesome listen, full of great advice and knowledge from the many guests and Brian himself. Thanks for the awesome show. Uh, you're welcome. And the Green Lantern was the nephew of the Lone Ranger. Bet you didn't know that. I have all this useless stuff in my head. Uh, and then on... Uh, uh, DY97 writes, mind-blowing, toe-curling podcast. Wow. I hope, I'm not, uh, hope you're not doing that at the same time. All right. And then the, uh, the traditional mailbag starts off with Law Dog Pipes. Robert Long writes, always a pleasure to listen to my friend Lee and, of course, Brian. As Brian stated, the eBay scammers are truly a sad lot. Yes, the scammers are, but there are also, I want to state, there are also some really good people on eBay, and uh, just learn who you're buying from. Uh, Casey Ghostwrites, really good show. I enjoyed your reports from the shows. Nice pickup on the Satos and the others. Thank you. Uh, your interview was just a joy to listen to. Lee can really make a visit to a place just come alive. I can remember Lee, Mike McNeil, and you coming to the Vintage Tobacco Table at KC in 2015 and 16. Man, you guys just love the cigarettes we had from the 50s. Uh, good music selection. It's a shame Sammy didn't come onto the scene until way later. We might have really appreciated him in the 90s and later. Uh, eBay scammers are a problem. You just have to know who you're dealing with. That I can agree with. And finally, last but not least, Dino writes... 
A uh, very nice recap of the West Coast Pipe Show and Lee's Travelog of Asian Pipe Shows was fabulous. It was an informative and warm conversation between two good friends. I really enjoyed the Sammy Davis Jr. performance by a great entertainer and pipe smoker. Thanks for another fun show, Dino. You are welcome. And remember, comments or questions, post them on the radio show page on PipesMagazine.com or you can email me directly, Brian at PipesMagazine.com. You can follow me on Facebook or you can uh, follow the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook. Or you can do both. It's, It's free. doesn't cost anything. Do both. Makes it easier on you. All right, rant time in just a minute. Cowboy. Cowboy. This Thursday and next Thursday, two national events, one a little bit older than the other one. Uh, This Thursday is the Great American Smokeout, and it's also known as Lung Cancer Awareness Day. Well, and next Thursday, the week after, is uh, Thanksgiving, which we also call the Great American Pig Out. Now, the Great American Smokeout, if you live here in the South, anytime you smoke something, that means that you have got pig on a barbecue on a grill and it is going for 12 14 hours and you're going to eat it well here's what i'm going to do for the great american smoke out this year i'm going to smoke outside as much as possible absolutely the entire day i'm going to be puffing on something the entire day to celebrate the great american smoke out because on the following thursday on thanksgiving day i'm going to be eating the entire day i'm going to be pigging out on all kinds of food Whatever it is, the entire Thursday, I'm going to get fat and silly the entire day. So, the Great American Smokeout, here's my real complaint with it. It's one of two world, uh, two national days where they try to get us to quit smoking. And now the little local city of Charlotte here is trying to use the Great American Smokeout to make all apartment buildings tobacco-free. You cannot smoke tobacco products in an apartment. They are putting pressure on apartment complexes to come up with, to make them all smoke-free. And some of the uh, crazy stuff that you hear from the anti-tobacco people is, even if you smoke inside your apartment with the doors and windows closed, the smoke still seeps through the walls. Yeah. Well, maybe if they didn't use such cheap Chinese uh, drywall... Hey, you know, maybe it'd be better and wouldn't see through the walls. But anyway, of course, the antis have their craziness and they don't understand us. We don't understand them. And uh, that's fine with me. I'm never going to. But this Thursday, the 16th, I'll be smoking out as much as possible. And on Thanksgiving Day, I will be eating as much as possible. Don't forget, tell your friends, share the Pipes Magazine radio show. There's a couple hundred episodes that they can sit back and listen to on uh, this Thursday and next Thursday, both while you're smoking out and picking out. So with that, I want to thank Robbie for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Bombadida, 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 bombadida
clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy We'd be out searching for that treasure, sailing the seven seas on a five-year mission, boldly going where no man has gone before. Say, that's catchy. <laughs>